Welcome to Hope Through the Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. I'm Steve Norman with Winning at Home. Welcome to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. I'm excited to have Brad Claver as my guest today. Brad is the director of coaching at Winning at Home. He is a husband, a father, a part-time personal chef. One of Brad's areas of expertise is helping individuals and families navigate issues of sexuality including facilitating conversations around sexual orientation and sexual identity. Brad, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. All right, Brad, first off, what what is a coach and what does a coach do? Yeah, good question. So our, our coaches at Winning at Home really focus on, you know, taking the baton from uh, from folks who have who have gone, you know, from our counselors, really, and going that next level of insight, of strategic action with with clients. So, um, you know, really, it's a lot of work of where are you right now and where do you want to go? Um, and and from that standpoint of things, really letting the, the client be in the driver's seat, but to say through um, through specific and strategic question asking through a lot of active listening and, um, you know, making things a little bit more wide and broad for folks. We, we generally tend to kind of operate at a narrow focus in life. Um, our job is to, to bust that open and make things a little bit more broad for people to see bigger picture, the larger canvas that they're playing on and they're painting on, and, and to say, how can I take active steps towards where I want to go? So that could be uh, relationally, it could be uh, vocationally, it could be, you know, maybe they're dreaming about some, uh, some new thing that God has put on their heart, but they're not quite sure how to get there. Um, it might just be, for my work with parents, um, you know, what does it look like for me to, uh, to know uh, that I want to walk with my kids uh, for the long haul, but sometimes the overwhelm of the day and the situations that our kids walk through um, is, is something where it keeps us stuck. And so um, what we do is we, we walk with those parents to say, okay, where do you want to go? And then what are the steps that you can take with your kids? What are the hurdles that you might encounter that way? How can you prepare for them? Does somebody have to have seen a therapist before they see a coach or can they jump right no, into coaching? Good question. No, absolutely not. So sometimes sometimes people will uh, will find that they need to go back before they can go forward. And in that case, we suggest they go see a counselor. But for people who kind of say, hey, I just want to move forward. I want to begin to take active steps forward. They do not have to see a counselor first. They can come right into our office and, and begin uh, their coaching journey right away. Brad, when you look back at your journey, who were some of those people who served as like unofficial coaches, kind of shapers and yeah. waymakers for you yeah. as you kind of walked your journey? Well, I can say I have and do continue to have an official coach. Right. Um, he lives out in Seattle. So, you know, I would, I'm a big proponent of coaching. I think that, you know, if you're in any type of leadership role, to have somebody like a coach or a counselor or a spiritual director speaking your life is, uh, is, is, is pertinent to you being the best leader you can be. Um, but I would say in terms of, you know, who have been unofficial coaches in my life, um, you know, it's, my dad has been an unofficial coach for me. Um, my, my soccer coach has, has literally been a soccer coach, but also an unofficial coach in my life uh, when I was, when I was growing up. Um, and then I would say, you know, there were, there were two or three older men, um, who, when I was a pastor for those years, uh, I could go to on a regular basis. But um, to be very honest with you, too, I mean, I, as a, for so long in my life, was so closed off 
that I didn't actually allow for a lot of people to speak into my life. I think we do that sometimes because we're afraid of what we might find there. Uh, certainly was the case for me. So I can actually say out of my learning the fact that I didn't allow enough people to, I didn't allow people to speak into my life. Um, I probably needed it more than what I even knew. Was there was there a tipping point or a season that forced you to come to like a, a reckoning or a point of awareness where you said, you know what, I have been closed off. I think I'm. I think I need to, or I think I'm ready to open up. Was yeah. there was there anything that drove that? I think so. And you for can me, say as much or as little yeah, as totally. you, you feel comfortable. So for me, I uh, I was a I was a pastor for 15 years. Um, 13 of those years were spent uh, pastoring in the same location here in West Michigan at the same church um, and uh, began to uh, to take steps towards planting a church, yeah. beginning something new. Uh, and I would say at that time, um, when I moved from something that was incredibly familiar, very comfortable, way more comfortable than what I even would have acknowledged at that time, when I moved from the comfort into the discomfort and the unknown of church planting was when all kinds of stuff started coming up out of me hmm. from places in me that I didn't really even realize was there. Um, and so I think it was, it was really in that, in, that, in that church planting journey where I just began to go, there's stuff under the surface of me that has gone unaddressed and even though I'll be very honest and say that at first, I did not want to look at that at all. Right. Um, the Lord just kept bringing those things to the surface and causing me to have to look at that over and over again until finally I said one day, okay, fine, I'll look at it. I'll look at it, I'll own it, and I'll let it teach me uh, in a way that I needed to teach, although it was, it was you know, difficult and at times um, full of agony. Um, but ultimately has produced tremendous fruit in my life as a result of it. I had opportunity to plant a church in my mid-20s as well. And there is something unique about whether you're planting a church or whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're launching into a new life stage where the the expectations that you have in your own brain for yourself are high. Mm -hmm. And with church planting, there's definitely like a, a limited runway for success, right? Mm -hmm. Like s some church planting organizations will give you three years to get your little plane off the mm -hmm. ground and functional. So it feels like not only are you in new territory, but the, the drive and the commitment and the metrics for performance are clearly stated and on a real quick timeline. Yeah. You and I have had some candid conversations about how sometimes those type of environments lead to performance-driven identity. Yeah. Where, where do you see that play out either in your own life or in your life with, with clients? To sure. Be able to say? Exactly what you just said about what church planting has the uh, potential of drawing out of an individual. Um, and, and in that way, I mean, it definitely drew out of me uh, the reality that I am. I have a performance orientation like none other. Um, I grew up in a way where, unbeknownst to me and how I had to live, was I perform for others to to as a means of establishing my identity. You know, in other words, um, Henry Nouwen has a way that he puts it in in one of his books where he talks about how we walk around and and all of us. You know, our, our influence are dictated by one of three core lies. I am what I have, I am what I do, or I am what others think of me. Right. And, um, and for me, uh, that core lie that I've owned and or, or owned for such a long time in my life was, I am what others think of me. 
And that is directly tied to if I am what others think of me, then I have to perform in order that what people think of me is positive, looks successful. And, um, and so God has taken me through a journey of, of, of acknowledging that performance, of seeing how deeply uh, into my life and into my heart it, it really was rooted and did a work of uprooting it for me. Um, you know, I had, to, I had to come to terms with uh, the reality that for 25 years of my life, I was hiding um, in plain sight. I was, I was basically giving people this perspective or this picture of this individual who more or less looked like a golden boy mm-hmm. who, who could not do anything wrong. Sure. Um, who everything I touched, everything I did, everything I set my mind to, I thrived in. I was successful in. And the reality was is that in order to do that, in order to seem successful to the world, um, you can't do that without coloring the picture, right? Without without tweaking what really is. And so, for every success that people could see, there were plenty of things that I would just say, "I'm not doing that because I might fail," even if it might be things that I loved. And so, at the same time, what was driving that for me was this reality that, um, at my core what I was experiencing in my life um, was inherently, quote unquote, bad and would never be seen as successful and certainly would never be something what, um, what others would deem appropriate. And so what I mean by that is, is, you know, after 25 years of hiding in plain sight, I had to come to terms honestly and openly, not just with myself, but with others, uh, that I experience same-sex attraction and that uh, what I experience in my sexuality is, is deeply flawed and, and, you know, just like everybody else's. Um, but that because of my upbringing and the messages around people who experience same-sex attraction, um, that it was very clear that um, that, that is unacceptable. And as a result, and if my, my goal is uh, I am what others think of me, my goal is to be successful, to be seen in a, in a positive light, then that can't be talked about. And so for me, really having to come to terms with, with why I performed so much was because at the deepest parts of me, um, I believed that I was uh, just bad, that mm. just at, at the very core, um, I would never be acceptable. Um, and that's certainly not true, but over the course of years and years of believing that lie, you begin to it begins to take root, begins to uh, to to settle within your soul, and it becomes the thing that dictates all of what I do. And so, in order to push back on that thought, that reality uh, that I'm inherently bad, I've got to be good. I've got to do everything right. Right. I've got to be the golden boy, and I've got to be this perfect picture of a Christian, even though. Um, you know, there was a lot going on in the surface that anybody that nobody could see. Brad, how did you find a place of safety to be able to tell that truth to yourself and others? Great question. What I expected safety to look like is not what safety looks like. Um, I think for all those years, I was expecting safety to be found in the form of an individual, in the form of a person who could say exactly the right things, who could do exactly what I needed them to do, who could satisfy everything my heart, my longing for safety really looks like. And so when it all boiled down to it, safety at the end of the day 
look like me being a man alone on the lake shore of Michigan, on, on the beach of, of Lake Michigan um, with God. And God looking, you know, God basically, you know, meeting me in that place where the realization for me was I can continue to perform my way through life, but I will exhaust myself to death doing so. Or I can finally come face to face with the reality of the, the fullness of my brokenness and my need for the gospel. And I might experience something with God on the other side of that, that re- reality that I've never experienced before. And so for me, safety was found in the immeasurable reality of risk that comes, or I should say, you know, the, it feels like risk at least. Sure. In trusting God's truth, trusting that he is exactly who he says he is and that he will provide exec- exactly what we need. We're not very good at trusting God for what we need. We would like to give ourselves what we need. We would yeah. like to provide for ourselves what sure. we need. It feels very risky to put our needs in the hand of another. And especially if our view of God is something that is different than who he really is, then it's really, really risky. And so I think for me, safety came through risk. Safety came through the possibility of I might lose every earthly thing that I've worked tirelessly to earn and achieve. I could lose my wife by finally coming out and sharing the truth. I could lose my family and my kids. I could, I'll certainly lose my job, all this kind of stuff. Um, and is it worth the risk if it might mean deeper communion with Jesus? Um, I'd like to, I, I think before I would have said, yeah, absolutely. But when I was face to face with the reality of it, um, it felt very, very risky and it felt very scary. And yet it was exactly the safest place for me. Does that risk still loom large or, or do you experience it in different ways? Or is it something that people, do, is it just a hump that some people get over? Uh, I think that it's probably the way that I, that I like to characterize it is it's, it's probably more a series of thresholds, okay. doorways and thresholds that we have to walk through in life. Okay. Um, I think the, the journey of trust and faith isn't one of arrival. It's one of deeper and deeper invitation and, um, and so with that comes, you know, a continual and, and constant invitation to give more of myself to Christ, to entrust more and more of my life and the things that matter to me, to his care and to his, to his desire and his design. And even trusting um, that perhaps what I think is good, perhaps what I think you know, a, a, a fulfilling life is supposed to look like or should look like may not be God's best for me. That's a big step to, to say maybe my idea of, of what's best isn't actually what's best according to the one who made me. Um, in fact, that's, that's what I, it's, it's a lot of the conversation that I have with with people who, who, who experience something similar to me, people who are experiencing uh, maybe same-sex attraction or who would identify as, as, as gay or bisexual or lesbian or who are, who are just wrestling, who aren't sure. Oftentimes we hear it like, 
there's, there's that wrestle of how can I trust that God's best might not be the same as what society has told me best looks like? Yeah. Um, that's a big question. And that's not something to rush through. That's not something to to minimize. It's something to pay attention to. It's something to to give plenty of room and space for a person to really um, process through how they arrived at their at their perspective. What what contributed to that? What messages that surround them have that way? And then and to say what what would it look like for you to begin to hold your hands out to to Jesus and invite Him to clearly you know show you what his best is for you, even if it means laying aside or laying down or sacrificing or saying no to the desires that you have that you think would be best. What are some of the temptations that parents face when kids come to them with questions that they find terrifying or alarming? the same temptations that I face as a parent. I'm, I've got four young kids and we're just at the beginning of this journey, but I think already it's, it's very clear um, that it's, it's very easy for us as parents to, um, to grip the steering wheel of control of our kids' lives. Of, um, and, and I think that um, when a when a child comes to their parents with with something like let's say uh, your child comes out and or your child comes to you and says that they're experiencing attraction to their same gender or they're they're not sure um, what gender they are right. even um, those are incredibly disorienting conversations for any parent who you know the parents who come in my office who say. I never expected that we would be one of those families, or I never expected that we would be having to have this conversation. Um, you know, most families who 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 are, you know, who are faith-based families who are who are following Jesus and who are you know maybe in a church locally here in West Michigan, or you know, it's just it's not something you really think of. You know, nobody really goes around and, and thinks, well, you know, what if my kid's gay? Or what if, what if my kid, you know, uh, struggles with their gender identity? We don't generally just walk around that. Instead, we, we go, okay, we, we, we don't expect that that will be a conversation. And so I think one of the things that is a temptation that we have right away is like we've suddenly gotten off the trail here or off the road. And like, you know, if you've ever been driving at night or whatever, and maybe you're doze off to sleep, all of a sudden you hit the rumble strips. And what do you do? You're like, oh, and you, you, you kind of overcorrect sure. a little bit. Yeah. And I think in the same way, um, these kinds of conversations have a way of being um, the rumble strips of life. Okay. Um, where suddenly maybe we've been coasting or we've been operating in this way, and all of a sudden we hit these rumble strips, and the temptation is to overcorrect. Okay. The temptation is to, is to go towards this place of like, um, you know, how do we fix this? Right. How do we how do we change this? This isn't this wasn't a part of the plan. Sure. Um, and and how do we get back onto plan? Yeah. And it's exactly in that place where when your child might come to you and express their experience or their declaration, perhaps because every kid comes differently to their parents, or if they do come to their parents, um, where it is an opportunity 
not to, to, to course correct or, or overcorrect or fix, but to actually create lots of space and room um, for dialogue and for listening. Um, I say to parents oftentimes, you know, two ears, one mouth. Uh, there's a reason why we have two ears and only one mouth is we probably do need to do way more listening in those moments than speaking, even though oftentimes our, our, our knee jerk is to, to speak directly into that, which is usually because we want to regain control. Brad, earlier when you talked about performance-driven identity, you say, I, you know, now and had that quote that sometimes we think that we are what others think of us. Mm-hmm. How does just the, and again, I'll just kind of pick on Protestant Midwestern cultural identity mm-hmm. that says, oh, if my kid jumps the rails in quotation marks, or if my child embraces a worldview that is different than the collective community or the faith community or the school community that we attend, what, what does that say about me as a parent? Sure. And it's, it seems like sometimes there would be the temptation to react in such a way that seeks to kind of protect a family brand, mm-hmm. if I could be so crass, or a family narrative, and not necessarily focus on, on the wounds or the dreams or the questions or the needs of the child in question. Sure. Is yeah. that a thing? Do you see that? Oh, absolutely. But I think it's a human nature thing. Okay. You know, I think more than, more than it just being something, obviously, I think that there, there are different, different aspects in different cultural Uh, locations. And I think we all carry around with us, whether we even know it or not, this ideal image that we want Mm. to be seen as, you know, we, we all carry with us unseen expectations that we have for ourselves. We all carry with us, um, you know, storylines from, from the past that impact, you know, our our present more than it being, you know, a, a, something that only occurs in one one dynamic or another, I think, you know, I think the reality is, is that, that we all, when these things come to, come to bear upon our lives, whatever it is, whether it's, whether it's a conversation of your child's sexuality, or it's a conversation about your child using drugs, or your, sure. your child making different political decisions than, than you would make, or, or heaven forbid, you know, your child uh, choosing to walk away from their faith. Hmm. Um, we all have to grapple with the reality of there will be an aspect of this where there's probably going to be a question of what does this say about me? Yeah. What I love when I get to sit with parents in this in in those conversations because you guys see it like there. I have an empathy for parents because your world just got turned upside down. You know, you 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 were moving in this direction and suddenly there's this there's this reality where. Um, you're flooded with questions of what does this mean for our future? Mm. What does this mean for the safety of my child? What does this mean for, is it even true? Does my child even understand what they're saying? I mean, that's, that's a, that's an important question to have. And, um, but also there's all of these other things, you know, does this, you know, parents who have said, and, and I guess I say this out loud, you know, to those parents who might be listening, who might be in this place, like, you may be wondering, like, man, does this mean I'll never have uh, grandkids? Does this mean that, you know, suddenly our future flashes before our eyes and we go, this idea of what I thought things were going to look like suddenly might not look like that. Yeah. And, and I think all of that connects to more than we even know, um, connects to how we see our identity and what 
forms our identity. And so, um, you know, really getting to that place where where parents can can grapple with that themselves. Um, parents, you need you need to find a group of people, or you need to find close friends, or you need to you need to come into winning at home and and have a conversation with me, like a place where you can you can go through your own process of unpacking what this means for you so that when you are walking with your child you're not you're not bringing your baggage into that conversation with them we need to travel lightly with our kids through this process because it is a discipleship process this is an opportunity to to not just you know get our kids back on the 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 cultural you know uh, pathway we want them to be on. It is an opportunity to say, okay, what does it mean for us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to move closer and closer to Jesus together, uh, even when um, I feel really helpless in this conversation, or even when this is going to challenge some paradigms or some norms or some expectations that I've had. How do I do that as I walk with Jesus, so that walking with my my kid towards Jesus can be um, uh, consistent. Read a parenting book recently where they said discipleship is saying one big yes to Jesus to mm-hmm. decide to become a follower of Jesus, and then saying a thousand little yeses to yeah. Jesus after that. Yeah. And I, I think that sometimes the temptation for us as parents, or at least for me as a parent, is I want my children to believe the right things, and I want them to execute the right decisions mm-hmm. and I want them to display the right behaviors. Yeah. And the truth is we can check all the right doctrinal boxes mm-hmm. and do all the right behavior modification plans and still not be saying yes to Jesus yeah. at our core, yeah. either as children or as adults or as whole families. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me sometimes it does go into that performance to be able to say like, well if I can if I can measure it and it looks right, then it must mm-hmm. be good. Yeah. Whereas I think that the Holy Spirit is inviting us to be able to say like, hey, let's go underneath the waterline. And say maybe the issue that we want to address is not the issue that God wants to start with. Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all have within us a set of core longings and desires, and they're longings that God Himself has put within us. Um, those desires could be the the desire, the longing for for affirmation, for acceptance, for belonging, for safety and security, for uh, for approval, um, to be pursued. Um, you know, men in particular, I think it, women as well, but, you know, we have this, this, this undercurrent and desire for adventure that, uh, that God puts in us and says, this is very good. Yeah. Now, when we go about trying to meet those desires on our own, that's when we get sideways. That's when we, that's when we become confused. That's when uh, we will go to uh, culture and the world around us uh, to our own devices to get those needs met. And trust me, there's plenty out there that feels very enticing to those, those longings within us. There's plenty out there that says, you know, uh, join this, do this, operate this way, say yes to this, you know, um, give in to that. And you will be satisfied. The problem is, is we get there and in a moment, there might be some satisfaction there. There might be a sense of, of pleasure that or, or need meeting that we encounter there, but only for a short period of time. There will never be enough there to satisfy the human soul. 
The reason for that is because not only does God say those needs at your core are good, but I put them there as a means for connection and community with me. I put them in you to be met perfectly by me. And so the reality is, is we can search any which way. We can, when, when we're a parent and we've suddenly felt totally disoriented by this conversation and our, our security feels totally turned over because suddenly we have this situation in our family or we have this conversation we have to have, like, where do we go? to reclaim that security? Where do we go with the need for that? We go to Jesus who says, I will give you more than what you even know. You know, as he says to that woman at the well in John 4, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink and I would give it to you in living water, abundant, unending ways. That's Jesus saying, I care for your deepest longings. And so in that same way, when it comes to walking with our kids through something like a conversation surrounding sexuality, you know, um, gosh, for me as a, as a kid growing up, I, I longed for some way. I mean, when I grew up, it was a, it's a completely different time than it is now. You know, the world is very different today sure. than when I was a teenager um, struggling and, and, and engaging my same-sex attraction. But, you know, there were, there were many, many days where it was the, the thought that I had was, you know, if only I could, if only I could pursue a same-sex relationship, then I will feel like I'm okay. If only I could experience this, if only I could say yes to this, then I will be satisfied. I will be okay. And, and I think that oftentimes what we see is that, you know, like, again, going back to that, that thought of like God's best for us doesn't always match our best for us. Right. And so that, that's that, that pathway to trust that God's best is actually abundantly better, but it takes that risk. It takes that willingness to submit to him. And, and so, you know, when parents come into my office and they go, you know, what, what, what will happen if our kid, you know, decides to transition or what happens if our child decides to pursue a same sex relationship? You know, the reality is, is our, our, our instinct is to want to control our child, right. but our, but our opportunity is to submit our child to God, knowing that, that God is, God is pursuing our children more than we even know, as, as, as much as he is pursuing us. But also to recognize that part of your child's pursuit towards these things that seem really satisfying, seem really fulfilling, will only carry them so far. The reality is, is that, that our hearts are restless they, until they find restless rest until we find our rest in God. Yeah. And so when we engage our kids in these conversations, you can engage them with that expectation that nothing will satisfy them until they experience satisfaction and rest in in God in that way and that their desires are met in that way. Brad, will you do me a favor? Will you just just offer a prayer for families that are feeling disoriented, overwhelmed, and confused. Maybe they're in the early stages of this journey and their heads are spinning and their hearts are breaking. They can't find out which way is up. Will you just will you pray a, a, a blessing 
for people who are there now? Father, I just I thank you for um, for the ability to to move towards you, God, and and to to come to you not in the version that we think we ought to be, um, but to to move towards you as we are. Thank you, God, that we have the ability and the uh, the privilege to um, to find our rest and to find our peace and to find our our wisdom and our strength in you, God. Lord, I'm I'm reminded uh, of of David in Psalm 27. He says, "One thing I ask that I would seek." is to, to dwell in your house, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. God, this is just the reality of a man who was deeply overwhelmed with a lot of different things, and yet his greatest desire would be was, was to just gaze upon you. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of our overwhelm, in the midst of the, the, the challenges and the complexities of life and the, the questions that not only our kids ask, but that we ask, Lord, that the invitation, the most important thing is to just simply be with you and to gaze upon your beauty. God, may we trust that in being with you, that in moving towards you and that in, in finding our rest with you, that we will also uh, be sheep with a really good shepherd, a really good shepherd who knows the way, a really good shepherd who understands that we will go through seasons and, and paths that look like the shadow of death, and yet who also sees the greater, bigger picture and who is with us, not forsaking us, but moving along and ahead of us to protect us to shepherd us, and to shield us. Lord, I pray for those parents who feel that just longing and that need to, to, to know the voice of the shepherd today. And I pray, Jesus, that you would make your voice known to them. And Lord, that they would uh, recognize that because they are a sheep with a really good shepherd, that we can move at your pace, not at the pace of our anxiety, not at the pace that the world uh, deems necessary, not even the pace that, that we think we need to regain control, but we get, to, we get to move at your pace, which is a much slower walking pace than what we're used to oftentimes, but it is your good pace. It is your loving pace, and it is the pace in which we get to know you best. So I pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to them, reveal yourself to me, God, and may the, the revelation of your presence in our lives be what bears much fruit uh, in the lives of other people, including our kids. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brad, thank you so much for using just your courage and your candor and your insight and your humility to walk families through the paths that God has them on in this season. My privilege. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.